Our clients are our business. We have nothing without our clients. So when it comes to decisions, we need to be guided by the right thing for our clients. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 79, and today's guest is Vanessa Cartwright. Vanessa has had a distinguished career in the advertising and digital agency business. We first met while she was at Fluid, and my company was looking for a digital agency to help us redesign our website. She's held a number of senior leadership roles and has owned not only servicing the needs of her clients, but also helping to run the day-to-day operations of her agency. Before we get started, a quick thank you as always to Max Brandstetter of the Wow Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Vanessa Cartwright. As CEO of Astound North America, Vanessa oversees go-to-market strategy, marketing, partnerships, direct sales, and client services for Astound NA, combining regional expertise with global reach to grow revenue for clients across North America. Her previous roles at Astound include COO of Astound North America and Chief Client Success Officer. Following Astound's acquisition of digital customer experience agency Fluid, Vanessa, who was a CEO and managing partner of Fluid and where we met, played an indispensable role in driving the successful integration between the two companies. Vanessa's prior leadership roles include serving as a senior vice president at digital agency Blast Radius, part of WPP, and she also held senior positions at RMG Connect, Jay Walter in Canada, and Rap Collins in the UK. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very pleased to be on this today. And Lucy, who was laying behind me so quietly, has now decided she no longer wants the the bed. She's now laying on the floor. So uh, hopefully she will uh, chime in with uh, any comments and suggestions she wants to add. Um, so anyway, great to see you. Uh, it was nice to catch up and uh, hear how your family's doing. And um, really appreciate uh, you joining uh, the show today. How have you been? Good. Busy with all manner of uh, family occasions, but uh, but good. Okay, glad to hear that. So, you know, one of the things we like to do on the show uh, is get some background from uh, the, the guest, uh, kind of the first story, um, where you grew up, uh, perhaps siblings, if you had, and really kind of uh, hone in on whether or not there's something in your background that might have suggested that you'd be an advertising agency guru. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Um, as perhaps the listeners can tell by my slightly strange accent, I'm not um, originally from the US. Um, I'm actually from the UK. That's where I was born and grew up until I was uh, nearly 30. Um, and uh, my family background is, um, and maybe there are some clues in there. I grew up in the countryside in Suffolk. My father was an engineer in the telecoms research. 
Um, so very much on the sort of, uh, you know, math side of the house. And my mother was from, uh, she'd gone to drama school, she'd worked in the theater, she spent a lot of time um, uh, in sort of the creative arts, she now has an art history degree, she picked up Latin. So I, I sort of think that those two sides um, did play a little bit of a role in uh, how I evolved. I've always thought that I have a kind of pretty well balanced, you know, left brain, right brain way of uh, of doing things. And, you know, that I, I think sort of saw its way through all of my education, where I always had an equal balance of arts and sciences right the way through my degree. So, you know, to some extent, perhaps that played a role, because I think that's very much part of the uh, career that I've found myself in. And when you went through university, what were you thinking you wanted to focus on? And, and what did you did you have any idea what you wanted to do when you got done? I, I really don't think I did. I went to university originally intending to do a joint honors in English and French. Um, very soon, for some reason, I decided to change that to English and Russian um, to sort of put my hand up to try something that I, I didn't know how to do at all and was obviously quite challenging because there was a significant language component to that. And I did a um, sort of a I guess you'd call it a minor here in math as well. So um, it, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with that. I just knew that it was interesting and unusual. I got to go and spend some time living in Russia as well. Uh, so no, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't one of those lucky ones. My daughter's studying biology, as I just told you. She's wanted to be a vet since she was able to say the word vet. And she's currently working in a veterinary um, office right now. Um, but no, I didn't have that. I sort of found my way into it. You have an interesting in background and, you know, there's, you know, some people who go on to the brand side of retail or consumer products and they stay that path. Some people start on the brand side and then move on to the provider side. And, you know, you were one of those people. So you're in early in your career, you were with a business called Book Club Associates. You were a marketer. Tell us about that business and, and how you got your initial, you know, marketing chops. Yeah. So. I initially um, worked for a publishing company, a company called Transworld that owned a number of different uh, imprints like Black Swan and Doubleday, which also, of course, exists here, and found my way into uh, Book Club Associates because of that sort of publishing background, but was very much in a marketing role. I, I started as editor of a couple of the different clubs, Mystery and Thriller Guild. Um, I worked on the Literary Guild. But very quickly, that, that business is at its heart absolutely a direct marketing organization, more than it is a publishing one, right? Has a big role or did at that point in time, a big role to play in publishing because quite often books couldn't get published without a BCA deal. Like we had to commit to a certain number of books and that would often enable publishers to actually be able to move forward with something. So it was a fascinating business to be in. And for someone who was in her kind of early 20s, working with all sorts of fairly senior publishers and having some kind of power and influence over whether something kind of came to market or not was fantastic. But at its heart, it was a direct marketing organization. The whole business of BCA was the acquisition of new customers and the optimization of that and then the conversion of those customers into long-term profitable members. So, you know, that was, uh, again, a very interesting, and I talked about that kind of left brain, right brain combination, right? It involved a lot of creative. We had to develop, you know, print ads at the time. We worked on the magazines that you would get with all the different books in them. 
Um, so there was a real creative element to that. Um, and I worked with a fantastic creative team, but it was very data driven as well, because you really had to understand your numbers. You had to manage not just your stock and your stock and inventory forecasting, but of course, you had to really understand what was happening in terms of the conversion rate from the advertising, as well as all of the um, ongoing direct marketing that would then convert those members into more profitable customers over time. So 10 books for a dollar, that was your uh, <laughs> acquisition, right? Yes. Exactly, exactly. But there's, a, as you know, I know you have a direct marketing background also. Like there's a lot of science that goes into optimizing that. Um, and BCA was one of the uh, leaders and sort of the originators of the whole concept of direct marketing um, back in the, I guess it was the 1980s that it was kind of really in its heyday, 1990s when I was there. But a lot of the um, sort of theory around direct marketing was originated. Some of the people that wrote some of those sort of seminal books, John Watson, et cetera, on direct marketing came from BCA. So at the time that I was there, it was considered to be one of the best training grounds for moving into a direct marketing career. Many of the people I worked there went on to found big agencies, the agency I moved to. Uh, many of its executive leadership had kind of cut their teeth at BCA as well. So talk about that transition. So you you know you get out of the book business and the direct marketing side and you make the transition to agency. What did you see there that was a fit for you? I think the agency world, well, for a start, it's very varied. So I, I love BCA because, to be honest, I found my kind of love of literature and books was getting a little bit eroded by it being my profession. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm spending too much time still carrying very heavy manuscripts around and really having to do that for work. So I wanted a, a change in that regard. And then moving to Rap Collins, uh, I, I was working primarily on nonprofit accounts. So Oxfam, uh, the Blue Cross, uh, a number of the um, big cancer organizations there. And so there's an incredible amount of variety when you're working agency side because you're kind of switching between essentially different businesses all the time. Um, but you're also needing to manage your own business. And I think that it combined for me, the elements that I'd liked from BCA, the kind of the creative requirement, I was developing, you know, DRTV commercials, direct mail packs, et cetera. So creative was a significant component still. Again, very data driven. But then the additional part that I found really interesting was you had to really be responsible for managing the results for the clients that you were working for, as well as the results for the agency itself. And I've, I've always found that duality of purpose really interesting. That's a good segue into, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you, and, and that's, you know, as you've been on the agency side for a long, so long and you're servicing, you know, clients, how do you make sure that your clients are getting value from the work that your agency is doing on their behalf? Well, I suppose at its most sort of simplistic, it is around listening and understanding our clients' interests first and foremost. Right? I think in an agency world, it, it can be kind of easy to think that you know what the right thing for your clients is, um, that you can make assumptions or that you want to do a particular thing for your client. But really what you need to do and what I try and coach my teams to do is really like relentlessly understand what is important to your clients, right? How is that business performing? What are their specific business goals? What is that individual's motivation, right? What is 
uh, you know, you might, you, we've worked together, right? What would be, you know, your particular personal objectives and how you're going to be measured as an individual? So really, I think if you get that right and understand what really matters to your client, what their interests are, what they're looking to accomplish, how they need to uh, work internally in their organization, what's going to help them get something approved, that level of understanding, I think if you can do that right, assuming your agency has strong capabilities, you should be able to deliver the right kind of value to your clients. One of the things, you know, in working with agencies, you know, over, you know, many years and different types of agencies is that, you know, you, you talk to folks, you know, colleagues, people in your network, they say, hey, did you like um, agency XYZ? And, you know, some people will love agency XYZ and some will not. You know, one of the perceptions that I've had is that an agency is only as good as the account team that I happened to work with. So how do you kind of balance that and, and have some consistency of putting that team together so that you can provide a, a, a consistent experience, you know, for clients? Uh, well, I think some of that you can do through process, right? You can help people with the tools and the frameworks that they need to be able to function. So we have some like strategic account planning processes, different frameworks that help our team make sure that they're thinking about every different aspect of their client's business. So some of that I think you can um, enable. Um, obviously, a great deal comes from the hiring, right, and finding the right talent. And, you know, I'm a big believer when it comes to finding great people, is that it's the kind of the intangibles and the unteachables that are most important, right? You can probably teach somebody who's intelligent to do quite a lot of the functional aspects of the role, but the level of, you know, curiosity and, you know, empathy and common sense, right? Those are the less teachable qualities that I think are really important to look for in a great um, client services or account management person. Empathy is a perfect word for this kind of a discussion because I have felt, you know, at times at various agencies and projects that that empathy doesn't quite exist enough. Understanding, you know, the challenges that the client is facing with their own leadership team, with their own staff. So, uh, truly, good good call out and and good point. The devil's in the details. You probably have heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that could make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who's helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. So, you know, as you've talked about, you've been part of, of different agencies. Uh, how are they similar and how are they different, you know, the various ones that you've worked with? Well, on the whole, in terms of commonality, right, they've been since for a decent amount of time, the last 15 years, I've been working in digital agencies. So there's some commonality there. Um, obviously all of the agencies are always seeking to understand the sort of, you know, the needs of their customers. There's a lot of similarity there. I was thinking about this a little bit, um, as preparing for the podcast. And I think, 
in terms of the progression, I'll maybe take you through some of that. So like Rab Collins, um, where I, and then also um, RMG Connect, where I worked in uh, in Canada. They were at the very early days of digital. I remember when I was at Rab Collins, we weren't allowed to use email because it might introduce something terrifying into a system somewhere. Um, and then when I was at um, RMG Connect, I really had two primary objectives from my leadership, one of which was to make sure that we maintained a big global account very happily, but the other was to transition the business from direct to digital. Um, so that was something that was extremely new at the time. There were a couple of digital agencies um, locally that I could kind of learn from, but it wasn't typical. So I had to figure it all out. What does user experience mean? What does a digital project manager actually do? All of those things. Um, as I then moved to Blast Radius, that was a large agency headquartered in Vancouver, but with um, real global reach. And that agency had been founded sort of as a digitally native um, firm. And it was uh, really, I think, known for its incredible customer experience, great technology, um, very uh, innovative in approach because a lot was so new at that point. There weren't very many best practices. So that was really fascinating to be in a group that was really you know, the technology was new, everything was for the first time. So we did really groundbreaking work for brands like um, Jordan and Starbucks. And it was also at that point, the real rise of social media. So that's when sort of Facebook, you know, initially, and then Twitter a little bit came to the forefront. So, you know, that was fascinating to figure that out from scratch. I was really lucky to work with some great clients there. One was a big uh, national cable company where we worked with them on their entire social media strategy. And I remember very clearly putting the proposal for that together with my uh, strategist at the time and saying, well, what? how will we do this, right? Nobody had any idea how you were going to activate social media for the benefit of a company. Was it going to be leaning towards customer service? Was it leaning more to transaction? Was it just engagement? And if so, why? Um, so that was super fascinating. That was just fascinating time to be working there. And then when I moved to Fluid, um, which is where you and I met, um, that was when e-commerce was taking off in such a really big way. And the reason I joined Fluid was their approach was not just about transaction. It was about shopping as an experience and how to make that experience take some of the benefits and some of the real positive attributes from how you shop in the real world and think about what that meant and how to translate that into a digital experience. So again, quite groundbreaking in that aspect. And then Astound, where I am now, of course, takes that great heritage that all those other agencies kind of went through and has, I think, put all of that together. So we kind of harness all of those different things in, you know, in one place. And I feel in some regards, we've kind of gone a little bit full circle because the big conversation now, of course, is all about customer data. How do we use CDP? How do we use marketing technology? Uh, how do we really make sure that we understand customer data to create incredible experiences that uh, that build value? So back to my dark marketing days. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think that what comes around goes around, as they uh, as they say, and it, it sounds like that's the case for you. You know, uh, you you referenced um, you know fluid, and that's where we met. I was at Steve Madden. We were looking at doing a redesign for the business, and you know, I remember uh, saying to you and and your team once we had uh, selected you all you know we had this site that was very commercial uh focused and you know we wanted to find some balance between the 
uh, commercial side and the branding side. You know, the web uh, for Madden at the time um, was the biggest store that we had, and we wanted to find that balance. How do you help your clients, you know, either now or in the past, find that balance, knowing that they want to drive business dollars, hard dollars through e-commerce, through digital, but at the same time, you know, not be so transactional that you can't, you know, help to grow the brand from that site. Yeah, I think that continues to be a, a challenge, right? It's a really interesting question. And I think often it comes down to clarity of purpose, right? And understanding the goals that you have. I think, you know, if somebody comes and says they want to have a, you know, they want to redesign, refresh, I'll normally ask why. And it is interesting how many times people don't actually ask why. <laughs> and they just go, well, of course we need to, because it's outdated or it just hasn't been done for a while. And that's not a particularly compelling answer. Um, so I think if you um, understand the why of each of them, so, you know, from, you know, there's a business piece to it, of course, the transactional side. So being clear about what it is that you're looking to accomplish there, but, you know, the, the less tangible and the more qualitative assessment of like brand engagement is a little more challenging to put tangible KPIs against. So I think, putting in place, you know, measurements so that you understand, firstly, understand what would you like, if you've got a clear brand strategy, and you know what you want people to take away from your brand in terms of perception, of the and understanding of the different attributes of your brand is set out in your brand strategy, then I think you need to think, you know, balance that, measure that, as well as measuring the transactional components. Um, you know, we work a lot with clients on experience vision, um, as well as the, um, you know, as customer journeys so that we think about what a real, what the ideal customer journey should be based on that experience vision. We do a lot of work around content strategy so that we, that's often a question that comes up in this type of conversation is what, how do we use content in the right way that enhances the brand, but, um, and also helps drive conversion and transaction as opposed to distracting from it and trying to get that balance right is you know, tricky. So we'll often spend a decent amount of time working on content strategy before we start to think, think about the actual design itself. When we were at uh, working with Fluid, you know, one of the things that was interesting about, you know, that agency is, you know, beyond the services that you were helping us from a creative and uh, experience perspective, you also uh, had a software business uh, wrapped in there. Um, why don't you touch on that for a second? Yeah, we had several different software products, actually, and you may not even have come across all of them, Mark, but um, the kind of concept was uh, the, this flywheel concept that we did work for our kind of agency clients that was based on, you know, their particular requirements. And sometimes that was very unique and didn't have broad kind of market applicability. Other times, however, we would be developing something for a client that had um, real um, sort of market reach potential. So for example, we worked with um, Timberland Boots initially and uh, with Reebok actually to develop a product customization um, uh, functionality. And initially that was just very custom to them, right? It wasn't a product. We just developed it. I think we did it first for Reebok and then for Timberland, but we very quickly, this is just before I joined Fluid, recognize that there was very significant opportunity within the market for many, many, many similar brands who wanted to do the same thing if we could productize that. 
So that became our kind of, I guess, leading software product that we had within Fluid. So it was a really interesting balance as a business running a services business and a software business. Um, but that customization product, which became known as um, Configure ID, and actually we fairly recently sold, um, is was a was a really great business. Um, one of the other products that we developed, which is probably a little bit less well known now, but was at the time, was called Fluid XPS, Fluid Expert Personal Shopper. And we did that in partnership with IBM and their Watson technology. And I, I just raise it because of so much of the conversation right now around AI. And that was maybe a little early in terms of the product maturity, because, you know, the, the Watson product certainly did a lot of things as an AI technology. And Fluid XBS, which we launched actually with the North Face, also with 1-800-Flowers, was um, a conversational commerce product that allowed you to have a very kind of natural human language conversation with a personal shopper, aka the, you know, the artificial intelligence to find your products. You could say, I'm about to go to Tahoe to ski. I'd like a ski jacket. And the next question back would be, well, what time of year are you going? And it would actually use sort of weather data to also help select the right jacket. So we went to market with that. It was a pretty successful product. We ultimately that got taken back um, to IBM to kind of move on with, but just really interesting. That was very early days in AI. And of course, ChatGBT now does essentially that, but probably much better. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're pretty proud of the flywheel concept that we had at Fluid there. Yeah. And it was very uh, different than what other agencies uh, were, were doing at the time. So uh, that, that's great stuff. You know, one of the things you, you hit on earlier um, was the fact that, you know, as an agency and somebody in your role, not only are you servicing clients and need to understand their performance, but you're running a business. And so how do you balance, you know, that um, it, it's, it seems tricky uh, a little bit because you have to have, you know, two heads, you have to have your client's perspective and then your own business perspective. So how do you deal with all that? At the end of the day, right, decisions should be guided. We're in a professional services business. Our clients are our business. We have nothing without our clients. So when it comes to decisions, we need to be guided by the right thing for our clients. Um, that doesn't mean giving away all of our, you know, we're a for-profit company, so that obviously is a factor, it's important, but at the end of the day, putting our clients' interests first, making sure that we think about what's right for them, I think is the kind of the guiding light for making decisions. Um, it definitely is. I mean, it's one of the things I like about it. Managing both sides of the business is interesting and uh, at times challenging because we're looking at, you know, our commercial performance, we're thinking about where do we develop new services? Where should we focus? Where should we invest? But again, if we always go back to understanding what is right for our clients, I think that shows us the way most of the time. How do you deal with tough clients, right? I've been called a difficult client in my career. Um, I like to think that it's more about being fair, but challenging. But how do you deal with that tough client? I think transparency. I don't believe any client wants to listen to an agency person sort of prevaricate or, you know, posture, I think, or, you know, I think that it's really important to be as transparent as you can be. If uh, as an agency, it, look, all businesses make mistakes. If as an agency, you do make a mistake, I think you need to be 
clear about that and frank about that. Um, I think you need to, if a client is being, you could say difficult or tough, I think that it's important to have kind of address it, have maybe a conversation about, hey, I think however we're working together doesn't appear to be working well enough for you. How could we do that differently? I think responsiveness is really important. I know that's important to you. Um, I think being able to, and this is where I've sort of our understanding of your interests and needs comes in, you know, I think also being able to, it's not always about just agreeing with a client. And I don't think that, you know, Mark is a client that you would want that either, but it is about being able to present our recommendations with some justification, right? So that you understand why we're making a suggestion that we are, whether it is because we understand, you know, your business, we understand best practice, we understand what your competitors are doing, or this is something that we know is important to your customers, but being able to present recommendations in that context, I think is very helpful as well. But at the end of the day, I will go back to kind of transparency and communication being really key. And I've had lots of difficult client situations I'm less nervous of them now that I'm older you know, and I can, you know, at the end of the day, if you pick up the phone and this is, I think, important in, you know, life as well as business, if there's ever a conversation that you don't want to have on the phone or in person or face to face or whatever means we have of doing that right now, if you feel like you'd rather just send an email, that probably means it's when you should have an actual conversation because it's difficult and you're trying to avoid something. So, you know, take that as a principle that, you feel like email is easier, that's probably the wrong answer. Well, that's good because, uh, you know, one of the things we do in this show is we try to give the listener three key takeaways to take back to their personal or business lives. And uh, I go back and listen to the show and then summarize it. So uh, you just gave me one of them right there and a few others. So thanks for that. Um, you know, you you talk about your teams and, and how you assign teams. How do you want your teams to be measured, you know, so that if you go back and you ask, you know, your clients, geez, how did we do for you? What do, what kind of either metrics or words you, do you want to hear from your clients? Yeah, well, you'll be getting our customer uh service survey very shortly, Mark. So we'll see what comes back. But at the end of the day, I think there's two metrics that are most important. And really, I take a lot of this learning from sort of Bain and their uh, net promoter score, which we used also at Blast Radius, actually. But I think the two compelling metrics are, would you be, um, would you recommend us to somebody else? And then will you continue to work with us? Do you intend to continue to work with us? Those are the two most important questions that I think we need to have answered by our clients. And, you know, we're very fortunate. We have a lot of clients that come to us because they've worked with us before, perhaps somewhere else or somebody else has recommended them to us. Um, you know, that's not the only way that our business grows. We can't just grow organically that way, but it's really important. Um, and if we ask a client who's currently working with us, if they intend to continue to work with us and they say no, then that's obviously a you know, tremendous concern. Now, underneath that, there's a lot of other metrics that will questions that we would ask around, um, you know, what services are important to them and how well do we perform against those services, et cetera. Is there anything that we don't do that's important to them? But those, those two first questions around recommendation and intent to work with us again, I think are the most important. Then, you know, you mentioned Astound. So tell us, um, the you know, the breadth of services uh, that you guys offer at Astound. And yeah, let's, let's leave it at that. Let's start with, you know, the, the services that you guys provide. Yeah, so Astound was originally a uh, kind of e-commerce service provider, systems integrator, and 
over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years has expanded its services through a combination of acquisition as well as organic growth to be a very full service um, digital provider. Um, so we have technology, we have demand, which includes data and performance marketing. We have design, which is kind of user experience, experience strategy, UI, et cetera. And then we also have a, a kind of a capability that we call growth, which is our consulting capability, which is the um, sort of strategy side of the house that works with our clients to develop, you know, their plans, their roadmaps, their business cases, and kind of pulls together across all of those different service pillars. As clients have come to you or you seek out new clients, is there some consistency? You know, it feels like, you know, with each year or every few years, there are these themes that, you know, businesses, you know, digital businesses are are focused on. Is there a particular theme uh, or two that you're seeing, you know, consistently now from clients? I think we see we see less of the kind of commerce replatforming. I think that most people are on an e-commerce platform that is functioning well for them. Maybe there's optimization. We might take over supporting that, but there's less of the new platform. Uh, we see quite a lot of clients trying to put together their various different kind of technologies into a more joined up infrastructure um, that suddenly um, has to be founded on customer data and how customer data is accessible through all different points from all different channels. So I would say customer data is a very significant theme for us right now and a lot of conversations happening around that. And then I think there's sort of two other pieces at kind of quite different ends of the spectrum. I think we have conversion rate optimization. Um, our clients are, are finding that, you know, obviously there's a macroeconomy that is challenging. We work a lot in retail, which I think is particularly challenging. Um, we see performance um, sort of in paid media becoming increasingly expensive and therefore less effective for people to use. We see organic search probably becoming less effective as well as you kind of look and see how hard it is to uh, really optimize your kind of organic search rating. It's, it's driving less business. So so the, the one end of the spectrum, we see conversion rate optimization is one piece of the kind of puzzle that um, that retailers and brands can effectively use to improve their business performance. So that's a significant way that we're working with our clients right now. There's a lot of interest in that area. And then right at the other end of the spectrum, I would say, is the interest in AI. And I think that there's tremendous amount of discussion about that. I just came out from the Salesforce Connections event um, a couple of weeks ago. Previously, I was at the Shop Talk event in Las Vegas. You know, lots of discussion at both of those big conferences around AI and how best to harness that power in the context of a digital e-commerce business. I think still, you know, a lot of question marks are from um, the people that we work with anyway. So we're doing more kind of consulting work in that area to help people understand, you know, what is the near term applicability? Is it around, you know, product content development? Is it around customer service? And then what might be some of the sort of further out, um, you know, uses of AI? So I see those as two ends of the spectrum, the kind of hardworking conversion rate optimization, end of the spectrum. Let's just make what we have convert better, doing all sorts of great testing to be able to optimize there all the way through to more innovation and how do we use some of the more nascent technologies? What's really going to happen with there? Where do we place the right bets in that area? 
Yeah, I'm still a believer in the basic blocking and tackling, you know, that's that's got to get done. And, you know, the other stuff, you know, the AI is is nice. But, you know, if you don't have a site that a customer can navigate through efficiently and quickly and get what they need, then all that other stuff, you know, almost doesn't matter. So great stuff. You've had a, a wonderful career. Uh, really enjoy uh, you know, hearing about it. And, uh, you know, for those that don't know Vanessa, uh, we've been industry friends for, I guess, more than 10 years now. She's a heck of a nice person um, and uh, always uh, has been responsive uh, and, and helpful to me. So uh, thank you for that, Vanessa. So we have this uh, two-minute drill here at the end of the show, seven questions, one word answer. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Virgin. Favorite app on your phone? Marco Polo. Okay. Last website, other than Amazon, that you shopped from? Uh, the Real Real. Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were? Playing piano without sheet music. <laughs> okay. Um, I couldn't play the piano with sheet music. So. <laughs> I can stumble my way through with music. Just take it away from me and I stop. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. I have a plug for our local charity, the Dobbs Ferry Food Pantry. If you had one superpower, what would it be? I call this instant travel. Click my heels like Dorothy and take myself somewhere far away or home. And other than family, what's your most prized possession? So I assumed I couldn't say my dog. So I have a set of stacking rings with my children's birthstones in. So those, but if not those, my dog. Okay, good. Everybody likes their dog. Vanessa, where can uh, folks reach out to you on social media? Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn, which I think is LinkedIn slash Vanessa Cartwright. So uh, you're more than welcome to reach out to me there. And uh, and again, it's Astound Commerce. Uh, so if uh, folks are out there and uh, have a need for a uh, for an agency, a digital agency, but it's a lot more than that, uh, feel free to reach out to Vanessa. So great catching up. Uh, nice to see you. Glad that uh, your family is doing well and that your business is doing well. And uh, we'll catch up again sometime soon. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Mark. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Vanessa Cartwright for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, do not hide behind email. If you need to speak to someone about an issue and email seems to be the easier approach, then perhaps that's a conversation that you should have face-to-face -face or at least on the phone. So many of us have become accustomed to firing off that email or text that we lose the one-on-one -on -one relationship with colleagues or clients. Number two, we often set out on a new project without clearly defining the goals and the KPIs that we want to measure. Whether you're the agency working for a client or you're simply working on something new in your team, be clear about the goals, how you'll measure success, and then allow yourself time to course correct if it's warranted. And number three, Vanessa mentioned the intangibles and unteachables of someone on your team. When you're hiring people, we know there'll be a learning curve. You'll need to train on your tools, your policies, and your procedures, but there are just some things that you can't teach. Vanessa spoke of empathy. As you interview candidates, probe on those things that cannot be taught, things like work ethic, empathy, and compassion. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, 
Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, the devil is in the details.